I'm Barry Fern, and this is the Leading Conversations podcast brought to your ears wherever you're listening in partnership with Lane Media and the Marketing Society Scotland. Welcome back if you've tuned in before, and if you're a new listener, then thank you for joining us. Today, I'm joined by two Ians I know very well, Messrs Valentine and Duncan. Ian Valentine is a non-exec, consultant and board advisor who recently left his role at Dentsu, where he was latterly Group Managing Director of Creative. Ian Duncan is Head of Digital Planning at the Lane Agency, where he has risen through the ranks over the last 10 years or so, from Digital Account Manager to becoming a Board Director. Today, we're delving into the world of Web 3.0, as we take a helicopter view, or should that be a drone view, of some of the emerging trends dominating the headlines in this not just futuristic, but present and virtual reality. We're going to tap into my guest's expertise, both from a personal and professional experience perspective. So welcome, Ians. Hello, great to be here. Great to be on the podcast, Barry. Let's rewind a little and delve into the past first. Introduce yourselves and set some context as to why the three of us are here today, talking about both the present and the future. Ian. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, on the Two Ian's podcast, by the sounds of it. Yeah, well, I guess I'm coming from a originally a design background. 17 amazing years at Whitespace in Edinburgh as creative director and then owner, managing partner. You obviously mentioned the last kind of role, but I also did a stint with Dentsu, CEO of Isobar, who were Dentsu's kind of global uh, digital experience agency. Um, and I think during all of these roles, you know, digital has been a key huge part of obviously what we did as an agency uh, for our clients both in the UK and internationally. So yeah, just excited to be here. I think jumping on that bandwagon of what everybody's telling 3.0 and really interested in the conversation. Thanks Ian. Ian. Thanks. Yeah. Well, um, I suppose my entry into marketing, I sort of stumbled into it a little bit. I uh, did English literature at university, uh, thought I wanted to be a teacher and uh, did a little stint as a teaching assistant and ruled that out quite quickly. Uh, ended up doing a few different roles, but my first marketing role with with a little agency called Hefo Digital, where I was kind of thrown in the deep end and all of a sudden was working on websites, brochures, posters, videos, SEO, you name it. Tiny little team, so got very involved in things very, very quickly. At some point, a few years in, I got a call from uh, an email, I think from Ali Findlay, who's managing director of the Lane Agency and founder at the time. And uh, yeah, I took a role there about 10 years later, as you said, risen up through the ranks, various different digital roles, um, got the opportunity to get a stake in the business. And yeah, it's been great. And fun here you are since. today. Yeah. Continuing that uh, conversation, um, Ian, your career, like mine, started back in the late 90s. What do you recall about digital innovation back then? I think, I mean, for me, certainly my starting point as a graphic designer, as I mentioned, kind of after studying, I was right at that cusp of, you know, I think in our degree show, actually, we were the first year to ever have actual Macs and screens in our degree show, right? So I never quite understood why the web designers were over in that corner of the room and the graphic designers were over in this corner of the room. So I suppose my mentality right from the get-go was as a graphic designer, you solve problems and digital is just another tool. So I took that all the way through, you know, the agency life and the amazing team that we kind of built within the agency. Um, and we prospered because we were kind of digital first or certainly digital um, in terms of solutions that we brought to clients, which was 
kind of different actually at that time if you go back to kind of like 2004 and we were pretty much blessed with the fact that we had already started with a with a great team and we'd just kind of done the first kind of Scottish government website um so we were right at that kind of forefront of really starting to get people onto the onto the web and then that then snowballed into getting people into their first kind of social media accounts so yeah when I look back on it whilst obviously it was a team that were making that all happen uh we were right there with a lot of clients in the early days of what you would class as probably web 2.0 actually at that point 2004 exciting times Ian, in 2008, when you started in that first role at Hehaw, the digital trends that year included um, the second iteration of the iPhone, Blu-ray DVDs, and the Wii Fit, amongst others, which I think is very contextually relevant in terms of the conversation today. But what do you recall from those earliest days in your agency career about digital technology? The, the thing that I remember really clearly was every year for about five years, it was going to be the year of the mobile. And then it's next year, it was the year of the open, this is the year of the mobile. And then this is the year of the mobile. And then this is the year of the mobile. And eventually, I think it probably was the year of the mobile. But I feel like something similar is happening now with, with virtual reality, with the metaverse and everything else. Everybody is, the hype machine is, is in full flow and we are a few years away, but it's going to happen. It's, it's on its way and it's kind of an unstoppable force now. So you've got the likes of Facebook and Meta now, sorry, uh, are pushing these things on. And yeah, that that that's the thing. I think you see those kind of trends coming round again uh, with with the metaverse. And without wanting to make the three of us sound like geriatrics, we've obviously all been involved in digital marketing, digital agencies, and technology for for more than fifteen years now. Um, some of us slightly longer. The pace of change and involvement in digital, both from a technological and a marketing point of view, is just evolving at a rapid pace. Obviously, as as agency owners, as people senior in in agency, we're always striving to evolve and stay ahead of that game. So, could you tell us a bit about your experiences in terms of digital evolution and like? new things that you've tried and tested, whether they've been a success or, or a learning. Ian? Geriatric, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to see the picture that you shared yesterday. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah. Um, listen, I think, I, I mean, we've got, this is probably part of some of the topics that we'll speak about later, but, you know, I think as an agency, you always do kind of need to be at the forefront of what is happening in technology and marketing and you know, new leaps in creativity. That said, that's not necessarily always really what's right for the client at the time. But to answer your point around innovation, I think, I think we've never been, we were never frightened to put on the table something which was, you know, quite risky. Um, the one springs to mind when we're looking at all this kind of um, AI technology, when you can kind of put in a description and then get an image fed out two seconds later, takes me right back to one of the fringe campaigns where actually we used Twitter uh, and we actually had a live illustrator, Johanna Basford, who's now pretty super famous. They're illustrating live tweets that people put in about what they want to see at the fringe. And we did that over a 40 hour period, streamed it live. Uh, and that created, I can't remember how many thousand illustrations, but that then became the campaign for the fringe that year. I mean, at the time, that was pretty cutting edge and innovative. And I think it was obviously tied to a much larger set of assets and a campaign and all the things that you would normally want, but it was quite an innovative solution to that. So I think, I think you should never be frightened to put on the table something which in, you know, utilizes the best kind of technology or platforms at the time, 
it's just got to work with the overall campaign and the objectives of what you're trying to do. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Ian, anything to add on this learnings and, and sort of innovative approaches? Well, I think... I think it's interesting because, I mean, we've been playing around with the same sort of AI tools as well. Um, There's one called OpenAI that, you know, is, is the same kind of body behind DALI, the, the image yeah. software generation you referred to earlier. And you can literally put in any prompt and it will just return however many words you ask it to return. And you look at that and you think, well, is that the copywriter's job mm. dead? And actually, when you think about it, it's just another evolution. Um, really, it's just a new role. You're now going to have prompt writers. There will be a skill in articulating the right way to prompt the AI to give you the result that you want. Yeah, you still need human curation, right? The, the relationship between the human and the robot is, is key to that. Yeah, until yeah. the machines take over. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, the creative potential in that, though, is huge. And I think we've just got to recognise now that's a, a, a fantastic tool for creatives in the concepting of campaigns and ideas. We're moving, we're evolving already into the conversation around uh, Web 3.0. Um, for our listeners' benefit, though, let's just take a step back. You know, we know that some of the listeners are going to be from a broad spectrum of, of roles and uh, demographics across the different industries. Let's take a step back. What does Web 3.0 actually mean? Ian? So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think you're going to get different answers to this, probably. Um, and I think for me through the research that I've been doing, the things that I've looked at, it's quite a high-level concept, right? And I think we've got to remember it's a high-level concept. Yes, we're talking about it and maybe jumping on the bandwagon of this to sort of package products and services, but it's a high-level concept. So for me, it's three different things. First of all, it's kind of data. So wrestling kind of giving people back the ownership of their own data. Um, it's about governance. So rather than organizations and governments and companies owning that data and deciding what you can do on the internet. It's about bringing back control or decentralizing the control of that. And it's about money. So how do we actually transact in this new internet? And you know that's where the crypto element comes in and blockchain. So it's away from the typical currencies that we've got at the moment and the payment methods that we've got at the moment to cryptocurrency or tokens. So it's a high level concept and I think on one hand, it's super exciting. On the other hand, we are, I think, in my view, years and years away from that high-level concept and just really at the very beginning. So some of the things we're talking about today are just almost like those little little tiny building blocks to sort of get us there. I'd agree. I think the democratization of the next wave of the internet is kind of the way that I like to position it in my head anyway. Uh, Ian, anything to add? What, is it, what does Web 3.0 mean to you? Yeah, so I would categorize it. It's a sort of emerging definition as well of uh, an emerging ecosystem out there that, that's predicated on various different things, but decentralization is at the core of it. And blockchain's the term that you know has been made famous by Bitcoin uh, over the last decade or so. Um, and that's the one that people know. But the ideology behind that is putting the power back into the hands of the people, if you like. It's wrestling it away from large corporations and governments. It's moving from this uh, system of trust us uh, to trustless. So mm. instead of having to just rely on the bank or rely on Google or Facebook to look after your data, uh, all of a sudden it's transparent and distributed across this you know, world ledger. Uh, and the other thing is this idea of, uh, I, I came across this term 
of a, a world computer uh, creating some sort of shared state where you can kind of move between different worlds but with the same profile or avatar or whatever it ends up being um, in, in these kind of new realities. And then there's themes like privacy, transparency, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality. These are all kind of things that I would bundle under Web3. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And I, I think, again, I'm, I'm always trying to simplify things for, for my own sanity, I guess. But to me, Web 3.0, it doesn't replace the current status quo. It just kind of sits on top and starts to evolve beyond it. It's not like there's going to be a big switch off one day of Web 2.0 and be replaced by this, this new world. It's going to be a kind of constant evolvement. Um, another current buzzword is the metaverse. Uh, and this is a phrase that is becoming more part of the digital vernacular, certainly. So to me, there is a bit of a common misunderstanding of what it is, i.e. it's not a singular virtual space. It's actually multiple and to some degree, it already exists. You know, it's not just this futuristic kind of state. Think about Fortnite, Minecraft, etc. Um, so with our consumer hats on, what's your own experience of the metaverse? Ian? I'm sick of it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling I mean, that answer might be I coming. mean, I think, you know, in sort of my previous uh, role the last couple of years, that was kind of one of the biggest things that, you know, we kept getting asked for and I think I said I had a colleague at the time who's very knowledgeable in this area and he would literally be out there doing talks like this on the metaverse but uh, I mean I think I don't think it's a particularly new thing for number one you know right from its really earliest definition and you know in that book Snow Crash or whatever but I think uh, for me until I can actually well everybody talks about that kind of Gucci handbag example where it was bought for $800 more in the virtual Roblox platform than it was in, than it was worth in real life but the fact of the matter is you can only really use that handbag in that one platform so to me where we need to get to is where you can actually take that between I can wear that handbag in Call of Duty or I can take that to Grand Theft Auto or I can kind of move between the different metaverses with the same items and skins that I actually own. So for me, that's the more, the more interest. And that's when it becomes Web 3.0 for me, not before. So this is a leading question following on to that, Ian. So what would you take through those metaverses, those multiple well, metaverses? Well, we, we, we joked about this the other day that I'd, I'd love to hang a Ducati on my wall in the living room, but again, my wife won't let me do that. So, um, But I can do that in my kind of virtual pad that I've got on the Oculus. So, you know, I know that sounds really terrible, but anyway, you know, you, you can actually, some of those things and everybody's, complete desire to be unique and to have unique experiences and to own individual things which you know is questionable i guess but you know that's why people will buy nfts and these limited edition runs or limited edition aston martin skins for their car in uh you know in gran turismo or whatever so you know i think there is going to be a, there is a desire for it and i think there's we're starting to see starting to see that traction but until again you can take that through the different metaverses. It's not really Web 3.0 for me. I think uh, one doth protest too much. He has a vision <laughs> of his Ducati in multiple metaverses in the future. <laughs> uh, Ian, anything to add, you know, your own experience of the metaverse? Yeah, I mean, my experience is, I suppose, it's it's more through my younger relations, really. And I think that's, you know, a factor of the fact that it's mostly based around gaming at the moment. And until it moves on to that, next level where it receives that kind of level of adoption from older audiences it's it's never going to be much more than a kind of 
uh, a kind of statement play for brands to just land grab in different areas so that they can say they're there and so that they can say they're doing something. Um, which isn't to say that that's a bad idea. I mean, good to get in early, but until we receive that kind of level of adoption, I don't think we're going to see um, true innovation in that space uh, yet. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, it's come up already a couple of times. So Meta, not to be confused with the Metaverse, i.e. the name of the company which owns uh, Facebook and Instagram amongst other platforms, they're reportedly spending $10 billion a year on their version, which at the moment is called Horizon Worlds. And this is being met with a healthy dose of scepticism from most commentators. Any points of view to share on this? Zuckerberg's future vision? Well, they'd have to be, wouldn't they? I mean, I, I did I, unverify, but I did hear that they were talking to the creators of Second Life, which, as you'll know, launched in like 2003 and was kind of like the original and probably closest definition of that uh, metaphor of the world that you could exist in as a, as a 3D avatar. So, you know, they're probably talking to the right people, but it just shows that that concept's been around for quite a while. Ian, anything to add to your point of view on the metaverse in Zuckerberg's world? Yeah, so my impression of it is that um, Mark Zuckerberg, perhaps his kind of ideology doesn't align properly with the whole Web3 decentralization ethos. Um, and in actual fact, he's maybe striving too hard to create a world that everyone will come into rather than creating lots of different infrastructure pieces that would allow lots of other players to get involved and perhaps get to uh, a kind of mature metaverse quicker. Zuckerberg is a megalomaniac. Is that where we're going with this? I mean, yeah. yeah. I said it, me, it's fine. Yeah, if you're asking me, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's really interesting. I think, you know, first off, it annoys me that he's decided to sort of take the term meta as his company. And then that for me then gets back again to that purest concept of Web 3.0 I was talking about. Web 1.0 was created because somebody actually wanted to build human connections. You'll find that the biggest protagonists of web uh, 3.0 or you know those proposing it have the most to gain mm. financially from it and that is a way i think from the decentralization that you mentioned Ian, earlier that web 3.0 exists on actually web 3.0 is about wrestling control away from these large companies uh not not giving it back to and letting them own it yeah couldn't agree more uh, let's move on from meta and zuckerberg to to nfts to save you a google listeners then an nft stands for a non-fungible token fungible meaning an item that can easily be replaced with another item that is practically the same like a 10 pound note for example now, most people, one way or another in their lives, are familiar with tokens. If you've ever played poker, for example, then you've experienced exchanging cash for a token. The NFTs that are featured on most of the digital column inches involve the Bored Apes, which some of our listeners may be familiar with. These are a collection of 10,000 unique digital collectible artworks. But I'm already bored of the Bored Apes story. So who else is innovating in NFTs? For example, I read recently that Nike had made $185 million from NFTs. Ian? Well, we chatted about this the other day a little bit, didn't we? And, and you know, as you know, I like to dabble in some uh, watercolour painting. And I think right now, if I were to go and decide that that's what I was going to do for the next six months and prolifically paint 15 pictures, would I actually go and open a gallery down on West End of Edinburgh or would I actually go to a marketplace for art 
that trades in NFTs. I think it would be really interesting kind of uh, study to, to, to kind of test that out. Rent a gallery for a month and see whether we get a higher auction. You listeners. Exactly. Rent it out, see if we get a higher auction from the, the real life physical shop or from the, the digital version. But I, I, I'm excited by NFTs. I think it really gives creators uh, a way in which to promote their work globally, to get paid fairly for unique artwork you know take away some of the, obviously the high profile stories that you hear and, and the amounts that some things are going for but i'm excited by it um now do people make money out of it i mean that aston martin's the one that um kind of i was looking at the other day and i mentioned earlier about you could when they launched the new vantage you could buy individual skins for your car now they've only made about two million from their sales of nft but if you take that as part of where it positions them as a brand alongside all the other things that they do, it's part of, I think, saying we are at the leading edge of technology, we are at the leading edge of the, our audience and what they want. So it's it's part of the mix. And I think it's it's exciting for creators and for brands. And there's something you touched on there as well. I mean, that's almost like the, the fractionalization of NFTs as well. Like if you can own a part of an Aston Martin in some way, albeit in a in a digital world, then that allows ownership of something that would be inaccessible to exactly. a lot of people in the physical world. So exactly. I think fractionalization of NFTs could be quite an interesting space as well. You know, owning a part of something, not necessarily the whole of something. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited about them as well. I think... The kind of key thing for me is is they allow you to create digital scarcity, which is a thing that's just unheard of before because anyone could copy any digital file and pass it around, and and now you can create this kind of perceived value and store it within within these F NFTs, and and the scope for brands is absolutely huge. I mean, that ability to to create art online that has a unique position location um, that people can't replicate. It just allows you to have all sorts of fun with with perceived value and and, and brand building. I think I'm personally still adjusting my mindset. I, I shared uh, an experience the other day. So I was I was at a conference and there was this fantastic illustrator, uh, a lady called uh, Jazz Thompson, who'd created four unique illustrations, uh, which included a self portrait, and, that, and my favourite was a beautiful print of a basketball player, which she entitled Flight Mode. It, it brings back visions of that iconic uh, Jordan basketball image in your minds. Uh, and I can't do it justice on an audio platform, but this art artwork was unique. It was inspirational even, and and I had a vision of, of it hung on my wall in the kids' games room. As Jazz was on stage, you know, presenting um, her unique uh, prints and, and sort of some of the inspiration behind them, there was a sting in the tail and it was actually kind of hidden in plain sight. There was something on the stage that was covered and it was revealed by the presenter um, by whipping away the tablecloth in kind of magician style to be a shredder. And Jazz, this amazing illustrator, was invited uh, with support from the host to shred her own unique, one-of-a-kind illustrations. However, we could, of course, buy those digital artworks via a new cryptocurrency. And I still can't get my head around. I'm not yet comfortable with the idea that I could only own that if I was to win an auction. I could only own that in a digital space. Albeit, I'm sure I could go and then reprint as many as I like to hang all around my house should I want to. But 
Ian, you said something yesterday in, a, in our preamble um, ahead of recording this podcast about, well, music, for example. And, you know, we've long since, as a, as, as a nation, kind of moved on from owning tapes and owning CDs, albeit vinyls having a bit of a comeback. You know, we don't own our music the same way anymore. We're so used to streaming. So why am I still attached to art in a way that I'm not attached to music? Um, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but it's a question that's kind of floating around my mind. I think it's a factor of how much time you spend in the virtual world. You know, the more time you spend there, the more you'll want to customize it and make it your own. And, and that's that whole adoption piece. As that becomes more and more uh, prevalent in society, you know, we were talking about Ready Player One, films like that, uh, where you can see this vision of the future where people spend most of their time in virtual reality. Um, we were talking about one of our clients the other day, um, Randolph Hill Nursing Homes, and I was kind of imagining, okay, when I reach that age, I think I probably do just want to put on a headset and <laughs> jump into a different avatar that I can run around in and, you know, have fun in, um, you know, if I've still got my marbles at that point. But it's that kind of idea that you can transport yourself somewhere else. And, and yeah, I think I'd want to do the place up. And, and you, you I guess just need to get with it, Barry. That's all you <laughs> Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm all for evolvement and change, you know, absolutely. It's just, um, it, you know, there are certain things that I'm still connected to in the physical world, but I'm, I'm certainly open to the reality that going back to this, you know, we are in a, in a state somewhere between web two and web three, if you like, in some way, you've only got to look at your screen time. I bet all of us and a lot of our listeners will, will, agree with this you know or, or certainly be mindful of it that our screen time is increasing it's increasing year on year and ultimately that means that some way we are connecting more and more with the digital world already so there is already a real merge of the physical and the digital world in terms of how we spend our time consuming things so okay we're not all necessarily doing the whole ready player one headset on more than half of your time but in some ways, that connection that we already have with our devices is creating that transition. Certainly, that's my take on it. So what's next in Web 3.0 world? As I could go down multiple multiverses here. So the floor is yours. Digital sovereignty, 3D advertising, the next generation of social media. Ian? Why? Was that one of the predetermined questions? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, what's next? I mean, I, I going back to the piece around the, well, digital sovereignty, why, what a big area, but I, I suppose that, let's touch on that for a second. If the whole idea of Web 3.0 is that we wrestle control away from these kind of governments and large organisations, it does beg the question, right, well, who does govern what people do on the internet? Because in reality, a permissionless internet means that People can put whatever they want up there. There would be no um, censorship. Uh, and I think in some ways that's actually terrifying. And I wonder whether we'd actually ever really get to that. Now, I'm all for the people getting control of the data. And maybe people think they've got control of the data at the moment if they try really hard, but I suspect that's really not the case. Will we ever get to that place of people really owning their personal data or, or at least their blockchain identity in the new internet can be separated from their own private details um, and will we ever get to a place where actually the internet can self-regulate through smart contracts I think it's I think it's uh, interesting but 
I think we're a long way from it and it does terrify me a little bit. Ian? Yeah, I think I think there's just massive opportunities. It's like a new sort of wild west, really. It's a new frontier for advertising. So there's just any direction you can go in, any any direction you can think of is, is possible, um, thinking in three dimensions. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what that looks like for, for the advertising world, but I do know that it's going to be pretty immersive and pretty sensational when somebody cracks it and, and actually gets it gets it right within one of these virtual realities. Well, there's certainly an exciting digital tapestry laid out ahead of us. And for what it's worth, my advice to anyone curious would be just to start experimenting within the landscape, um, whether that's buying a, an Oculus um, or, or you know, thinking about Web 3.0 as not just the future, but the the present. And and it really is about building on the web that you know and use today. So maybe don't do what I did a few years ago and dive headfirst into crypto. Um, but you can do the basics. Um, read up, watch some sci-fi. Ian's already mentioned uh, Ready Player One, which is a, a great introduction to um, what the future potentially could look like. Maybe join Discord and, and even buy some digital art and, and print it if that's your bag. Okay, time for a change of direction as I do my best impression of Lauren Laverne. Ian Valentine, this won't be too hard for you to imagine given your recent globetrotting. Your company has given you a sabbatical as a reward for long service and great performance. In this fantasy scenario, money is no object and you're allowed to take one guest, a person, a pet, with you. Where are you going? Who are you taking with you? And what are you taking with you, whether that be a podcast or a book? Wow. So the person I'm taking with me has to be my wife, Karen. Who, Hello, Karen. You know, yeah. We, <laughs> we've been together since we were 17. So, you know, actually one of our, we had zero money when we started out. We kind of started working, kids, house, growing a business. So in reality, we are now lucky enough, as you say, of the last kind of, since the summer to be doing a bit of a uh, what has turned out to be a bit of an A to Z of travel. So we're on G. So if there's any suggestions, that would be that would be welcomed. But I think for me, the kind of and this is a big, it's a long sabbatical, right? So Japan and China absolutely nice. kind of fascinate me. The culture, the creativity. I just feel like there is an attitude to innovation that potentially. We, is slightly more progressive than it is here for whatever reason. Mm. Um, and I think there's some fascinating things that are going on in China from a technology perspective, from a creativity perspective. So that would be really high on my list. Clearly, I would take your entire series of podcasts, Barry, to listen to. Yeah, there's um, no need for the plug. You know, so um, <laughs> that, that, would be, that would be mine, Japan and China, and a pretty big tour around those kind of areas. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm jealous. Ian? Yeah, so mine would be, uh, I'd be taking my wife as well on a delayed honeymoon, actually. Uh, we got married during lockdown, so I uh, well, got married during lockdown and then not too long after I had a baby. So we've kind of deferred that honeymoon for about 20 years now. But if I'm allowed the <laughs> sabbatical now, that's that's fantastic. Um, Ali, are you listening? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess similar to Ian, actually, Japan was on my list, um, as well as South Korea, for much the same reasons. Um, I just find them fascinating, and all of the kind of cut, or a lot of the cutting edge digital press kind of comes out from those areas, just seeing what's happening in the innovation space. Australia is the other place that I'd love to go to, never been, got family there. Just a massive block of land that uh, so much to see. So, yeah, that would be my area. Sounds good to me. Um, yeah, Japan, 
Tokyo, definitely high up on, on my list too. Thank you to both Ians for coming along to the World Studio for this insightful and very future-focused conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Keith at Woosh for his production expertise. And as ever, I hope that our listeners have enjoyed our conversation and that there's a nugget or two from the experiences and opinions shared today that you may recall and think about and refer to in the future. As ever, I'm always keen to hear more from our listeners. So please drop me a line on barry at thelaneagency.com. If you'd like to say hello, tell me what you like or dislike about the pod and anything our listeners would like to hear about for future episodes. Thank you for joining me, Barry Fern from Lane Media on the Leading Conversations podcast. If you've enjoyed the pod, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you tune in and search Leading Conversations and follow for more.